My friend's got a co-host and he hates that bitch. He tells me every day. I say, Mason, if you hate him, quit that shit. Cause your hairs are turning gray. He says that he likes it when he sings these songs. The ones about the little baby. But he wishes the funny talking dog was there more. Well, my friend, I gotta say, I won't play, I won't play, no way. Noah, give Mason a hug. <laughs> say no way, the dog's cool, but so is the baby. Noah, give Mason a hug. I guess all these songs, well, it wasn't enough to stop Mason from eating his shit. I guess all these songs about the funny baby need some dog who I choose to omit. I won't play, I won't play, no way. Noah, give Mason a hug. Say no way, Family Guy rules. American Dad is not Bay. Noah, give Mason a hug. Well, I guess it ain't easy watching one cartoon. Oh yeah. But hey, man, Peter fights the chicken, and it's funny. Let me tell you about the other host now, Mason got a co-host who is pretty cool he tells me while he's taking a piss mm -hmm. he writes parody songs about this british kid and my friend they go like this i won't play i won't play uh, no way nah nah noah loves family guy mm -hmm. say no way that's the rules even the joker obeys Nah, nah, Noah loves Family Guy. I will give you some episode wrecks, they always slap. Nah, nah, Noah loves Family Guy. Say no way, man, I've seen those and they are all crap. Nah, nah, that's the beauty of the show. Oh, Mason, that's the beauty of the show. That's the beauty of the show, Mason, is that they're all kind of bad, but you like them anyway because they have funny cutaway jokes. Is the song over? Is the yeah. song over now? I actually couldn't tell what song you were parodying. Oh, really? I don't think so. It's uh, Why Don't You Get a Job by The Offspring, baby. Oh, okay. Do you know that song? Not a huge, off not a huge Offspring head. I know the classics. I know, um, uh, uh, oh, fuck. Come Out and Play. That was it. That was the one that I know. It's a good one. That's one that, good one. Uh, Other what about self-esteem? Nah, nah, la, 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 la. You don't know that one? You're not, not ringing any bells right now. Hey, maybe we talk a little offspring on the pop. <laughs> what, uh, what about, uh, what about, <laughs> what if I just go through all the fucking offspring songs that I know going, what about, uh, what about the kids the are offspring, all right? I will say, I will say the offspring was the number one band that I had the most songs on of on my iPod and had the least amount of listens. I had a, a couple full albums of offspring <laughs> on my iPod and I never listened to it once. I don't know why. 
I just I was looking through like I found an old iPod and I was looking through the library and I'm like, what was I doing with all of these offspring songs that I never heard? But once that is so fucking brutal, dude. I can't believe you would admit yeah. that on the fucking podcast. It's all right. It's all right. <laughs> I'm not ashamed about that. Okay. Well, you have a lot of other things to be ashamed about. So this is true. There's that. Um, I, I'm shocked you didn't know that song. You know what that song's? Um, it's uh, not a pastiche of, but it borrows the same basic melody of. Do you know what? You know that fun trivia fact? Uh, no. Lay it on me. Uh, it's the same basic melody and rhythm of Obla Di Obla Da by the Beatles. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Johnny works a job at the marketplace, sucking his tiny dick. Yeah, that one. <laughs> <laughs> Mason works a job where he takes phone calls, sucking on his big old ass. That song. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Cool. Exactly. Kind of cool. Um. I'm on island time. I got a new laptop. Yeah. <laughs> I got the, got the virtual yes, background. Listeners, listeners, it has been a while since Noah and I have seen each other. We've been out of the podcast groove, if you want to say it, I guess. I didn't even do the barn this week. What the um, fuck? Yeah, it's been, I've been on a little week-long week long kind of break from podcasting. I will say, though, new roommate moved in. Everything's going swimmingly. There's a lot of, lot of uh, uh, anxiety about- out of the house. You ever mm-hmm. talked about the old the old fucker on this pod? Maybe not no. necessarily by name, but I don't even know if you talked about him. No, I don't think I did. Listeners, guests of the show, but listeners may not know that I had a uh, a roommate that was causing a lot of stress for me and uh, my friend that I live with, my other roommate. And we have a new guy that moved in, and it's going much better so far. It, even just from him coming in on Thursday to today, Saturday. February 27th when we are recording this. Uh, it's been a marked improvement. He brought nice weather with him. And uh, that whole thing was happening. Noah got a new laptop. That whole thing was happening. And now <laughs> Noah didn't Noah didn't mention that he was going to be taking a uh, a, a trip round, a quick round trip <laughs> to Hawaii. Yeah, he's and... on island time right now. You guys can't tell, but he has a palm tree going up in front, behind him. Yeah. Feels pretty irresponsible to be traveling yeah. at this juncture. Like, Yes, there's people are feeling good. There's vaccine rolling out, but we're still in the middle of a pandemic and probably. Yeah, I don't really care vacation. about other people or myself or the 25 gotcha. close friends that I brought with me to the island. Sorry, couldn't invite you, oh, Mason. Okay. I understand that there was. A, you have to understand there was a cutoff point, and I had to pick 25 yeah, 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 yeah. of my closest yeah. friends and someone that I do a podcast with once a week. Just wasn't gonna make the cut. So no, you know, no, all no. good. I'm sure it's you're cool. fine with it, though. I'm cool, man. Listen, it's been thawing in the city of Chicago. You and I were talking about this right before we got on mic here, but it's been – I went on a very long walk today, so that's why I'm sounding a little tired. I am the a tight type boy, but it was the first time in a couple – feels like it should have been longer than it actually is, but uh, first time since probably about late fall that I was able to just get out of the house and take a nice long little little jaunt. And it Fucking love very, that for you. Good. Yeah, brother. It was cool, but my feet are killing me. And I have this podcast to do, and I'm so excited because I get to do this podcast again. And this podcast, <laughs> folks, I almost believed you when you said, "I'm so excited to do this podcast again." Folks, if you don't know already, you are listening. Oh, to Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR oh! Podcasts. Welcome I'm to Pop host. Culture Happy Hour, everyone. It's Mason. Yeah. It's Noah. We're Pop Culture Happy Hour <laughs> yeah. here with my good friend. Uh, 
Vesuvius Joe, <laughs> <laughs> Pompeii Leslie over there, uh, just yeah, naming me, giant volcanoes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Krakatoa, Krakatoa Joe is a nice sounding one too. A lot of Joes. Krakatoa <laughs> Joe is a better one. Joe's versus the volcanoes on this one, but no, just kidding, guys. It's it's oh. on the list with Noah and Mason. I'm Mason, the funny talking dog. Joined as always. <laughs> Did you forget that you were the funny talking dog for a second? The former president of the United States himself. The funny talking baby. Oh! Noah Marger. Oh, hey Mason. Oh, hey brother. Hello. We got, we got three things to talk about today, Mason. So in my opinion, we should stop fucking around. <laughs> yeah, I'm cool with that, man. Let's get into it. We do have Let, three things to talk about today. Let's be let's be fucking serious, like they are on Pop Culture Happy Hour. Yes. Let's yes. fucking knuckle down, do some big ass dissection, write a couple essays for the Criterion booklets that you get when you buy John's Gone on Criterion. <laughs> when so, you buy John Carter, Disney's John Carter on Criterion. <laughs> Listen, brother, the way that some of these freaks on Letterboxd are going, I wouldn't be surprised if in like five years we get the reappraisal of John Carter and people are like, yeah, it's actually amazing that this movie sucks shit. <laughs> it's actually amazing that I like this yeah. movie because I have no taste, but it's actually good. So that's what's up with that. Gotcha. Gotcha. That's a very specific that's a very specific gripe against a very specific subset of folks. Dude, there's just some folks on Letterboxd where it's like, yeah, fifteen to seven fifteen seventeen to Paris, that's a perfect movie. That's a perfect movie. And I'm like, listen, yeah. I don't I don't know if I'm not, I know what's the podcast about underrated movies and under you know, hidden gem movies and music and all that stuff. I don't know if I can get on board with fifteen seventeen to Paris being considered a new uh, a new classic, a new Clint classic. So I don't know. Yeah. I don't know either. Never seen 1517 to Paris. Uh, it did not interest me particularly. But you know what does particularly interest interest me? Oh, what? The three topics of the show today. Oh, Mason with the fucking bada bing bada boom. Uh, yes. Should I introduce this movie or this short since I picked the short? Yeah. Yeah, you always pick the shorts. <laughs> yeah. Ma- yeah. I always pick the shorts. Yeah. I always pick the shorts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I always pick some fucking shorts. Um, Let's do it. Let's do it. So we got three things in the docket for you guys today. So, yeah, no more fucking around. Uh, Seriously, Mason, no more fucking around. Um, You hear me? Cool. Yeah, Uh, yeah, yeah, okay. No more fucking around, dude. Um, (laughs) Stop. Uh, (laughs) uh, We got three things to talk about today. We got a short, we got an album, and we got a feature-length film. I picked the short and the movie this week. Classic Sitch. Mason picked the album, the short that we're talking about today. 2010, you know the directors, but you might not know this movie. 2010, short film, directed by Josh and Benny Safdie, John's Gone. Snap, 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 snap. Okay, Mason, you ever seen this one before? New to me, completely new to me. I came in on the sa- with the Safdies on Good Time. I saw Gems. That's the bulk of it. Saw, you saw Good Time, you saw Gems, you said, hey, these safty kids, they might be on to something here. They think they make good feature-length films, and to be honest, I like their movies, but I've never been like particularly interested in diving deeper on my own time. You know you're, what I'm saying? You're not in the safty hive, so to speak? No, not really. When they, if they have a, when they have another movie come out, I'll go see it. I like when they put out feature-length films, but I'm not like super into the cult like some other, some other folks are. Well, I guess that makes me part of the cult, part of the safety hive then. 
but my my relationship to them, I guess, honestly, didn't start out in the best possible place. Um, I saw a good time in 2017 when it came out, and I think it was the first movie I ever saw in the Cinerama Dome at the Arclight Hollywood. Mm, very cool. <laughs> I went with friend and guest on this show, Dustin Titcomb. Went to the Arclight in Hollywood to see Good Time. Hadn't seen it before. There was going to be a Q&A with Josh Safdie, Sebastian Mer- Bear McClard, who is one of the producers on the films and works with the Safdies a lot. And that m- I think that was it, but it was moderated by Selena Gomez, of all people. Hmm. Straight up. So hmm. she was said that she was just a big fan of Heaven Knows What. Like she like loved their movie, mm. Heaven Knows What. And I was like, I got to do something with these guys. So she moderated a Q&A for them at the Cinerama right. Dome. So I go and see that with Dustin. And I didn't love it when I first saw it. But I think it had more to do with being in the Dome than anything else. Because that was my first time ever going to the Dome. And I think that, and this is my, just my opinion, but with the Dome, it's more important to actually be closer to the screen than yeah. as far away from the screen. Do you agree? Yeah, being, I agree. Being on the floor of the Dome is, is a pretty incredible experience. I saw uh, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse and Beale Street, when Beale, if oh, Beale wow. Street could talk on the floor. Dunkirk I also saw on the floor. And maybe Get Out, I'm thinking of the Cinerama Dome. But yeah, sometimes you the, the kind of balcony-ish seats aren't awful, but being on the floor of the Dome and just having that whole thing above you is really, really, really cool. It's the way you got to do it if you're going to go to the yeah. Dome. And obviously, I don't think the Dome's open right now. I would hope the Dome is not open right now. You but could probably safely socially distance in the Dome. It's fucking huge. You could, but I don't think it's open open for like, right, you know, right, right, like right. general admission or whatever. But when you're in the Dome, sit on the fucking floor. It's the only ex- the floor, situation yeah. that I've ever been in where sitting on the floor is actually better than sitting further back, which I normally like to do, sit a little further back. Uh, but I didn't like it that much. But as all good movies do, kind of grew and grew and grew in my mind. Oh, my God, that movie is amazing. I just kept thinking about it, and I kept thinking about it, and then I woke up at, like, 9 a.m. one morning, and I watched it on, like, Prime or whatever, and it was, oh, my God, amazing. So then I'm like, all right, well, I got to see what else these guys are doing. I didn't know about Gems at the time. And Mason, when our good friend Filmstruck was still around. Ah, uh, yeah. There was a little bit of a safety retrospective on Filmstruck. You had Daddy Longlegs, you had The Pleasures of Being Robbed, and you had a bunch, if not like all, of their short films available to watch on Filmstruck. And this is the first semester of my junior year in college. And I was at Dodge College of Film. And I was getting ready the next semester to shoot my junior thesis, also known as AP, uh, at school. And I was very stressed. I didn't know what I was going to do. We're probably about a month away from the semester being over. And so I'm like, I really got to figure this out. Like, I really have to, like, figure out what I'm going to do. So obviously, a lot of restrictions. It's very challenging to make a film. It's really challenging to make a short film. It's very different from making a feature. It's insanely hard to make a short film on a student budget with student crew. You know, it's just like right. stack everything on top of one another. And I happened to come across their short films, and I watched a bunch of them. I watched The Acquaintances of a Lonely John. I watched The Black Balloon, which I almost picked. That is a great short as well. Mm-hmm. Probably their most highly regarded short, I think, uh, of their shorts that they've done maybe the gold man versus silver man thing because it had adam sandler in it or whatever is maybe more highly regarded and seen but only because of that but this movie john's gone i watched as well and it like immediately made an imprint 
on me, like, upon watching it. Uh, it made me, like, realize, like, you don't have to, like, sacrifice, like, a good story. You can do a good story without doing something. Like, I thought I was thinking simple before, but this movie made me, like, realize, like, damn, I can go even more simple than what I was already thinking mm-hmm. and do cool things, even with it being that simple. So probably the biggest influence on figuring out what I was going to do for that junior year film and that junior year film ended up being my movie Happy Birthday Holden, which is available to watch on Vimeo. I will throw the link to that in the description if you're at all interested in. Well, I'll send it to Mason. And Mason, can you please put that link in the description so people can check that out? If um, I remember. Yes, I will. I'm kidding. I'll do it. No, it's a if you remember thing. I know you're being truthful with me. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> there's that. So that was kind of my like, like my, my gateway into this. Uh, it was mm-hmm. basically the first thing that made me like realize like, damn like i i can do a short in a cool way without having to sacrifice really anything ultimately at the end of the day except for what i'm capable of thinking and imagining uh mason there is a spider on the wall behind me uh i need to go get a fucking paper (laughs) towel and kill this guy before we can move on so give me one sec all right okay Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Noah's not. Wait a minute. He lied to me. Wait, with this, with his new laptop, he now has the ability to do a green screen. And he's hold on. You're you're giving up the ghost here, brother. He can't hear me because his headphones aren't on. He's he's killing he's killing the spider. This is the most of I've seen of Noah's place. That's just not his face. I've seen the chair that he sits in. A little bit of the ground too. We still got the island scene playing. Um, I'm, this is all staying in the show, by the way. I, I hope that everyone is listening to this and enjoying it. Because um, I'm too tired. I, I'll be too tired to probably take it out. Uh, and we're also recording this episode very quickly, soon to our, when I edit this. So I'm not keeping anything that I said out. I'm keeping it all in, brother. And you'll just have to listen to know what I said. Uh, You're such a so dick, welcome dude. back. Yeah, welcome back. All right, I killed the spider. So okay, cool. <laughs> so that's fucking gone out of our lives forever. I hate spiders. Um, so yeah, big big time influence for me in film school for how I was going to do my short film that sem- that next semester. Um, and they've just continued to be guiding lights for me. They are probably my second favorite director working today after PTA. Um, the Safties are so. Mm. That's where that's that's my backstory with John's gone. But uh, I've talked quite a bit. Mason, this is new to you, so I want to know what's your takeaways from John's gone. What was it like to watch this? I, thing? So if you're like me and coming into this just kind of like new to the Safties, you're gonna see a lot of stuff that feels very familiar. Like they're kind of just approach a lot of very tight close ups, a um, lot of kind of Altman esque overlapping dialogue, and kind of like. Um, in very tight apartments in New York City, it, it it it's it was a I was watching this and I'm like this is a this feels very safety to me, um, 
And that's just kind of my impression on it. You know, it's interesting just to see there an early short film by them, especially the one that's starring Benny. And I, I think that the guy at the end that tries to buy the laptop is in, or he the is. computer, I mean, is in, is in Gems. And it's nice to see them have this sort of like this street level recurring characters. And, oh yeah, that's another thing that I really liked about this is just having a cast of just like the, the thing that they love to do, which is just apparently cash is like regular ass folks off the street. Um, like seeing that, um, I don't know. I, I enjoyed watching it. It just didn't speak to me like on a, as on a, a level or a sort of inspiration level, like it did to you. I did enjoy watching it though. That's, that's it. I think, I think I'm just kind of a little out. That's just how I feel about it. So I the, liked it. Our girl, Jennifer Vendetti plucks those people for them. That's their oh, that's right. casting That's person. right. That's right. That's right. That's so. right. I forgot that. We talked about that the last time that we recorded, which was almost two weeks ago. <laughs> yeah, baby. Yeah, baby. Mason hasn't seen me in two weeks, and he's yeah. pissed. I forgot how now. to do a podcast. This is going to be the worst episode of this podcast. I'm determined. Dude, don't fucking say that shit. Uh, no, I won't say that. It's not true. We, we're never going to have a bad episode of this podcast. Well, we've already had the worst episode. <laughs> That's true. We could do of this show. Uh, but Mason's <laughs> determined to tank it even further. Um, yeah. So... The act, uh, Benny Safdie's a great actor. He is, like, such a good actor. And he, if you want to just compare his performance in this to Good Time, there's not a lot of overlap, but it just kind of shows you he can be really subtle, like in this movie. Like, just this yeah. paranoia, this, like, weird vibe that he's giving off. Because the whole movie is just more or less, yeah. like... Yeah, a guy wandering through his day doing shit that doesn't necessarily like you don't know why he's doing the things he does. He like sprays this like chemical kinda, in his hallway. Yeah, you kind of get a, a you kind of get an explanation towards the end of it where you're like his mom died a week ago or something. You well, know? that's kind of what I'm that's kind of what I'm what I'm winding up to. Up to. Oh, OK, yeah. OK. So he like is like doing all this shit he's spraying fucking chemicals in the hallway of his apartment building he like gets in fights with his neighbors because of the shit that he's trying to do he like scams dollar stores he like takes jewelry from dollar stores and sells it online for like 500 like percent or maybe like a thousand yeah and when he actually has valuable stuff he sells it for like dirt cheap it's just like he's just like this weird guy and you're like what is he doing why is he doing all this stuff and what what is this like what is this leading up to if anything like you're like it's just like keeps yeah. asking that question but because of Benny Safi's performance and their like street like grungy Altman-esque sort of like aesthetic and style that they've like already like started to hone very early on you know you're like mm-hmm. damn I'm engaged I am like very interested in like what's going on here and that scene that you alluded to Mason where they're watching the boxing fight uh, and he's and Benny Safi's character just starts like crying and breaking down. Uh, his friend tells, uh, I think it's his girlfriend. I believe I don't know if it's ever no. Fully I think specified. I think it's like it was like a I, no. I I got the impression it was like a one night stand thing, kind of. It's just some uh, girl that he had. Yeah, been with. he says he says like this is Rose. I met her yesterday or something to that effect. I'm pretty sure. Gotcha. This woman that's yeah. in this room with him, uh, and he's just like. He's just like crying, and uh, you know this girl's like, "Why? Why? What? Like, what's going on? Like, I don't know what's happening." And the guy that's with him, his friend, is like, "Oh, his mom passed away like a week ago." And it was in that moment for me that the whole thing just like 
clicks. The whole thing right. just like settles into place, all the pieces put together, and with that one little moment, everything that you've seen prior makes story sense. Everything that you're seeing prior makes narrative sense to this guy. Why is he like this? What's going on? It's because he's spiraling from grief. And to me, that was sort of the magic of the short. It's only like 22 minutes long, but to me, that's like the moment where things click. That's the moment where things are like, we love it. We're good to go. And then it ends in this very like weird sort of standoff way where he like doesn't fully stand up for himself with the guy from Uncut Gems, the like weird brother. But he like has this moment of like, okay, like life has to go on basically, you know? So that's he, for me. Yeah, the he magic. gets, he get yeah, he gets smoked off. He gets smoked out. He just kind of gets like, uh, he gets, he gets smoked out on the street basically. And he just like kind of takes it and goes on with the rest of his day. Yeah. Yeah. But it's like uh, hard to overstate how weird this movie is. It is just a very strange movie. I think from like start to finish. Would you agree? Uh, I don't, I guess, I mean, it's, it's just very kind of like see, like city scenes, you know, kind of to me, like, it's just a couple of like the, you're way into this, this world of like Queens or whatever is through this guy who's kind of lost after his mom's dead. I don't know if it struck me as like weird. I was just sort of more just like sitting and, and just kind of taking it like, yeah, I mean, this guy probably gets like. You know, like there's that there's that shitty like kind of also hustler kid, his friend Juan, which is interesting. There's John and there's Juan. Um, I don't know. I saw it described as weird. It didn't particularly strike me as as too too strange. I guess I don't. It's it's just this very like kind of uncomfortable thing that that safety's like to do. That's what I'm talking about earlier with like it being still feeling very safety. It just kind of had a more like kind of simmering tension feeling than a. And I guess just a weirdness, but I, I don't know. I, I think I it's got that like safety simmering tension, but it's also got this like strange surrealness to it that is very specific to this kind of feeling. Like it's like this guy just sort of like floats around and does this weird yeah, stuff, you know? Yeah, I guess I'm just saying, I guess I just kind of feel like um, it's like a dream almost or something. Yeah, but I'm also just seeing it, and I'm like, yeah, this is just kind of what it's like living in, in the city, and, it, and, like, living, especially in a building when you're on top of, like, a top of or between, like, 15 other people. Like, this is just how fucking, this is just what life is like there, you know? And I don't know. I just kind of feel like I've seen it before. That's that's it. I don't agree. I think I think you're wrong. I think you're fired. Uh, Owen Klein is in this movie, though. Uh, the kid from The Squid and the Whale. He is the kid who... Yes, and, um... What's his, who's, uh, Juan Waters, I think, is a musician who plays his friend Juan. Um, I think a Brooklyn-based musician. That name popped up and was familiar at the end. It's weird seeing Owen Klein in this movie because he's, like, not in anything else. Like, he's in Squid and the Whale, and then I've never seen him in anything else besides that and John's Gone. So I was just very, like, holy shit, what the fuck is this guy doing in this movie? I haven't seen this kid. The last Squid and the Whale came out in 2005. Yeah. John's gone came out in 2010. There's a five year gap. I don't know what the fuck he's been doing, but I haven't seen him since. He was gonna he was gonna be in a in a movie last year, and I can't think of a, a movie that would be funny for him to be in. But uh, he was gonna be in a movie last year because it's every five years and ten years after that. So next time we're gonna see him in a movie, <laughs> it'll be in 2035. 
2025? 2025? 25, 26. He'll be Owen Klein. He's going to be an. He was. Well, he's an interstellar 55 55, the Daft Punk movie. Yeah, there you go. Uh, then I just think that the like closing credit sequence to this with Abner Jay's I'm so depressed and just him walking down the street going, listen, life, life marches on. Grief is grief is a bitch uh, and it affects everyone differently, but life continues to move on. So I do think that there's that nice implied sort of rebirth moment or implied apotheosis moment at the end of this whole thing where it's like, damn, like, you know, I, 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 I don't. I just am sort of drifting through my life at this moment, and I just got to take a time, take a moment to figure my shit out. Uh, but you get to see this character in this moment, in this very brief window, experiencing heavy grief from the pe- passing of his mother, and I just absolutely loved that. I just thought that was fantastic, and this just very crunchy, very lo-fi, very indie way. So I don't think there's a lot more to say about the movie other than it's just you just got to kind of see it. If this is all piquing your interest, I think it's just one of those that you just kind of got to see. Do you have anything else to say about it, Mason? I truthfully, I don't care about this thing. One thing or the other, <laughs> honestly, like I wish that I could did, but I watched it and it was like, this is just fine. I really think it's just fine. So if it, that's kind of how I land on this. Fair. I got some, I got some fast facts for you on this, probably more than you would think, but I do have some fast facts for you. Can you handle this? I'm ready for some fast facts, though. Like, I did like this. I am interested in knowing what you figured out about this. <laughs> it's fine. I don't give a shit about it. Who cares? I actually like this movie. <laughs> I liked it, but it's fine. You know? Like, I think that this can be, too, <laughs> the same thing. And uh, anyways, fast facts. Let's do it. Obviously, this is co-directed by both the brothers. The, both All of these facts are taken from Lay Cinema Club archives online. Kind of a cool little website to find things that are just Got very it. strange and weird and out there. Uh, co-directed by both brothers, John's Gone is a follow-up to Benny Safdie's film The Acquaintances of a Lonely John, which I've also seen, like John's Gone, more than Acquaintances of a Lonely John. Uh, John's Gone finds a solitary character, as Benny Safdie explains, quote, when life no longer treats him as nicely as he thought it would. I love that description of this movie. The Safdie brothers, who were born and raised in New York City, shot John's Gone on video in Benny's apartment in Queens, New York, shortly after making their debut feature Daddy Longlegs. Their father, who was a cinephile who introduced the sons to cinema at an early age, bought a video camera in 1988 that produced images that the brothers always loved. In preparing to shoot John's Gone, Josh and Benny tried to find the exact same camera. They went looking for an elusive pro version of the camera, which they could never find, but the search led them to a version that had been modified to be a security camera, which they were able Mm. to outfit with a 16mm Bolex lens. That's pretty crazy that they were able to retrofit that with a lens. I do like the look of this movie. I do like that the kind that they really lean into the digital graininess of it. Um, I think that that's pr- I like that. And it's one of those things where it's like, did they do that because they wanted to, or did they do that because that was the limitations that they were faced with without any money? And it's right. kind of both, you know. And it's kind of nice, I right, think, right. in that way. Uh, the script was co-written with co- uh, frequent collaborator Ronald Bronstein. Uh, who co-wrote and co-edited their last two features and who plays the role of the father in Daddy Longlegs. John's Gone premiered at the 2010 Venice Film Festival. And I don't have a lot from this article, but I'm going to send this link to Mason to put in the show notes. There's a great interview with them from 2011 in quite literally Interview Magazine. Uh, They're being interviewed by Durga Chu Bows, I believe is how you say it. I just have a short excerpt from that interview, and then we'll do our wrap-up shit. 
But Durga Chubo says, even though it's a short, we care about John. Can you speak to the process of building a character in a short amount of time? What kind of choices do you have to make? Josh says, well, holy shit, dude. There is some crazy fucking shit happening on my screen right now. What's going on? I just got a fucking software update alert in the middle of recording. Holy (laughs) shit, dude. This is a fucking... I thought you got, like, DDoS attacked. I thought that just, like, Anonymous hacked into the podcast. We got Zoom bombed by Anonymous. (laughs) That was fucking crazy, dude. There's some crazy shit happening. And it's like God is like, don't fucking do this podcast ever again. Uh, Josh Safdie says, well, you don't think about plot at all. Every movie we make, we are inspired and physically moved to write an idea because we feel a very specific, ineffable thing that we don't know what it is, but we're very attracted to it. Uh, Durga Chubo says, so what's that feeling with John's gone? Benny comes in and says, there's actually a sense that that didn't even make it. There's actually a scene that didn't even make it into the movie. It was some weird cockroach thing, and I just remember having weird dreams of the stuff invading my life. Chubo says, wait, you were John. Benny says, me. And I was talking to Josh, and Josh was having these weird feelings about the state of where we were emotionally. One day, Josh said, there has to be a monkey. There has to be a monkey. And that felt right. And I don't know if we explicitly stated it, Mason, but there is a fucking monkey in this movie. Yeah, there's a monkey in the movie. And it's just on one of the dude's backs, like, that he's selling some shit to. And then they leave it outside. And he's just like, hey, is that monkey going to be okay outside? And you just get these, like, peeping shots of the monkey from inside the window. And I'm just like, this is fucked shit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. What? I want a movie with the I want a movie with the monkey. I want a movie from the monkey's perspective. I want to see the monkey's day. Yeah, the monkey's awesome, dude. Are you kidding me? Let's get a follow up called John Fo- follows the monkey. <laughs> the monkey. <laughs> uh, my Mercedes valuable player of this is the boxing scene where you find out kind of why he's been acting the way he is. For me, that was sort of the pinch point of the movie. The moment I realized, damn, this is some awesome, awesome filmmaking for me. I love how this turns out. Uh, I'm gonna give it a regular old recommend. Uh, I do think that it maybe loses a little bit of impact for me on rewatch because I sort of know what's coming and I'm just sort of enjoying it for what it is as far as like the aesthetics and some of the acting choices and some of the filmmaking choices. But I like this movie a lot. This is a big inspiration for me as far as it was for the movie that I made in film school, one of the movies I made in film school. So yeah, this gets a recommend from me. Mason, what about you? This is a conditional recommendo. I just, I... I don't know if I was dreading watching this movie ahead of time, but I know that, like, you're super into the Safties, and I'm kind of just lukewarm on them. Again, I really like their, their two movies. I th- Uncut Gems was a blast when I saw it in the theaters, but I just don't really care about joining the 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 Safdie hive kind of at all. And I'm just content to ride with them into the future. Don't really want to go watch their past stuff. If you're interested in seeing, like, it's an earlier thing by them, that's totally fine. I think that, you know you would get something more out of it. I am just going to give it a little conditional recommend just because I think it, it has its crowd. The crowd was not necessarily me this time, but I can appreciate, I can appreciate some parts of it. My Mercedes valuable player, I think would be just like the, um, the weird digital graininess of it. Like that kind of like early two thousands digital look that I think is really, really, really always really cool looking. Um, so that's it. So that's it. We never have to talk about John's Gone again, but uh, it's actually good. So <laughs> we can move on. Uh, I'm glad you like it. I'm glad you like it. <laughs> thanks. I'm glad you conditionally like it. <laughs> uh, you want to do the out? Al- want to preview our album? Preview the album. Today we are talking about uh, Prince's 2014 album, Art Official Age. This is one of, if not his last, I think, official studio releases. 
Um, he had two more hit-and-run Phase 1s and 2 that came out in 2015 that are kind of... It's like some original stuff, a lot of like kind of more remixy kind of things. Um, I actually don't have any familiarity with it. I'm not going to continue on that train. Damn. But this is for I, one of, for all intents and purposes, one of Prince's last like kind of gifts to the world before he untimely passed in 2016. And I just feel like I listened to this album when it. Well, we'll get to that later. Noah, I think who is Prince to you is kind of a big question. So why don't we start with this album? Damn artificial age and maybe we can start from that small thing and get to the wider thing about prince i just realized that the name of this album is a pun yeah artificial age or artificial age artificial i age, just yeah. realized that that's nuts i didn't realize it until i was listening to artificial cage the first track there you go song. also a pun we love that Wait, so was yeah. your question who is Prince to me or what was your what was your actual question? I was wondering if you have any familiarity with this album specifically. Okay. Um, and if you don't, then just maybe go into – if you can broach the topic of Prince in your life. Yeah, yeah. If that's even the thing you know. So I had actually some familiarity with this album but not a ton. And mm-hmm. it is pretty much limited to the song This Could Be Us um, yeah. because – Probably at the, like, end, the, like, tail end of my actual, like, heavy use of the iTunes store, I remember mm-hmm. this album being promoted. It came out in 2014. I was a senior in high – I was either a junior in high school or going into my senior year, probably in my senior years from what I can remember based on when it came out. But mm-hmm. uh, it came out in 2014, and I was on the store, and it was on the front page because obviously Prince is – one of the best to ever do it. I mean, straight up. Yeah. No doubt about yeah. it. And so they're like, oh, Prince's new album dropped. Actually, Prince's two new albums just dropped. That's true. This is, yeah. He This album came out alongside uh, Plelectrum Electrum, which is uh, the album he put out with his band at the time, which was Third Eye Girl. So he put out two albums. Two at the same time. Full-length albums at the same time. Pretty nuts. Miss this guy. Uh, yeah, this guy. I have no uh, experience with Plectrum Electrum. But I did hear the song This Could Be Us because I think it was, like, top of the iTunes charts at the moment. You know how when you, like, went into the ho- the home screen of iTunes, it would be like, yeah, that makes here's sense. the top ten, like, most bought songs on iTunes right now. Uh, yeah. And if you, can even, if you can even put yourself in this position, Mason, I listened to the 30-second preview of This Could Be Us. Uh, and it was funky and it was fresh. But I couldn't remember what song it was, like, within the mix of the songs when I was listening to this album for the show. But Mm -hmm. the thing that has always stuck with me about this album is the album cover. because The cover is great. It is striking. Prince looks old as hell. (laughs) Yeah. But, like, very intimidating. Like, he is very, like, fierce looking and very, like, I guess for lack of a better term, just, like, intimidating. Like, he looks scary. I don't know. Yeah, he has he. If you're not familiar with it, it is it is extremely striking. It's just like him looking like straight at you from the album cover. Basically, he has a big afro and um, some sunglasses that look like kind of like just like dark cosmos, you know, like kind of pattern. And yeah, there's yeah. two of them, and there's a third right in the middle, like kind of like a third eye sort of thing. Um, and that kind of looks like comes at like a weird sort of triangle with some like. Uh, uh, like some clear vinyl like records behind him too to kind of make like a weird like kind of triangle shape and there's just this, this like 
sky blue background also. He's wearing this like turtleneck looking thing with a like a gold tunic. It's it's an incredible look. He looks it's like a fucking fit. alien, dude. He looks like an yeah, alien. Yeah. Straight up. And that's yeah. what it, that's what's always sort of like struck me about it because I was like, damn he's old. But he's like Old in the way where you know someone's old, but they don't necessarily want you to think they're old. Like, they're that kind of, like, old. Where it's like, right. this person looks preserved. Like, this person looks, right. like, very, like, waxy and very, like, preserved in that way. And I was like, damn, that's, like, even scarier to me than I think someone who just, like, straight up looks old. So that was the only, like, real background that I had on this album. Uh, mm-hmm. You actually weren't originally going to pick this. So when you did pick this, I was like... Damn, Mason just did like a full 180 from what you were going to pick. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah. Maybe you'll bring that on the show one day, but I'm not going to peep what that is yet. Um, mm-hmm. But that's all I really had as far as relationship with this album. And I guess as far as my relationship to Prince is concerned, like I said, I mean, he's a legend. He's one of the best to ever do it. And in a weird way, I kind of thought that this show, not this episode, but just the show it's on the list, would actually be a little bit more like picks like this where it's like a Mm -hmm. great legendary artist and we look at like one of their like first albums before they popped off or we look at like one of their last albums before that they they like passed away or retired or stopped making music or whatever so i actually thought the show would be a little bit more like this kind of material when we first started doing Mm -hmm. the show doesn't bother me that it's not but that's just sort of what i had like predicted for myself so when you said we're going to do a late period Prince album, I was like, okay, nice. This is kind of the direction I thought the show would go in earlier mm-hmm. than this. And it's not saying that it has to go in one direction or the other, but I was like, we're actually doing something that I thought well, the show would be originally. And I like Prince a lot. He is, you know, he's got a fucking, he's a hit machine. I feels like every song that I've ever listened to that he's done has been good. You know, like he's just like one of those guys. I don't have like, like, he's not – I don't stand Prince, I guess, for lack of a better term. Yeah, like, he's not, right, like, sure. one of my, like, Mount Rushmore people ever, you know? But I really mm. like him. I think the only album that I had heard in entirety prior to this is Purple Rain, which is a great album, obviously. Yeah. Uh, not <laughs> fodder for this show because I think that album is pretty adequately rated. But, yeah, that's kind of just who Prince is to me. But who's Prince to you? I know you're a big Prince guy. Prince is, yeah. I think Prince would be one of my Mount Rushmore artists, honestly. I really like – I. Prince is one of the few guys that I feel like I can keep coming back to, and even the stuff that, like, I, I know that I love and just – I Prince is one of the artists – I will say this. Prince is one of the artists that I have just a Spotify playlist of just my, in this case, 20 favorite Prince songs that sure. I just, like, have, like, kind of in my pocket if I need them. Um, the other ones are St. Vincent, I think Mitski. I need to double check who else I have because I can't believe this was, would be the only three. But in any case, I like Prince a lot. Um, I am really it, – it's in college I got really into his like just – I think his run of albums from in the 80s is pretty unimpeachable. Um, with that, you got – just need to pull up Spotify here and double check this for myself. Um, I think even going through the Batman – the Batman soundtrack – I think is interesting. Has oh, some really yes. good songs on it. Yes. Yeah. Uh, even through um, so, Diamonds and Pearl. Yeah. Diamonds so, and Pearls is one that I have, like, is a newer one for me that I really like. But the Batman soundtrack really goes off. I love the Batman soundtrack. So just to give our listeners an idea of what he was releasing in the 80s, his first album comes out in 1978. It's called For You. And then he releases a self-titled Prince in 79. But in the 80s. Great album. Dirty Mind in 1980, which has got some songs that – 
you would know. Everyone would know. Controversy. Mm. Don't know anything about Another that Another great album. album. Love uh, that album. 1999. It's got some great fucking songs. Little Red Corvette, 1999. Uh, mm. Some of the big ones. Then Purple Rain, which is probably his most well-known album. Uh, mm-hmm. Around the World in a Day, which is Prince and the Revolution. Uh, Parade, music from Cherry Moon, which I've never seen, but I'm very interested in Cherry Moon because it was supposed to be yeah. the great the great predecessor, or the great, not predecessor, whatever comes after a predecessor, but uh, the, successor? Great, the great successor, yes, the great successor of Purple Rain, and I don't think it was quite that for a lot of people. Um, and then Sign of the Times in 87, Love Sexy in 88, and the Batman soundtrack in 1989, and then in the 90s we get Graffiti Bridge. Um, mm-hmm. It's pretty amazing. I don't know all those albums very intimately, but just knowing that 1999, Purple Rain, and Sign yeah. of the Times all came out within like five years of each other, that's nuts. Yeah, I think that, and I think all almost every single one of those albums that you've mentioned are worth your time. Uh, Love Sexy is... I need to give Love Sexy some more of my time, but there's some real. I like the song Alphabet Street. I think is really good, um, but I that's a pretty unimpeachable run to me. Like I was saying, and I got really into him in college. And 2014 was I think my it would be going into my like my the spring of my sophomore year of college, going into junior year of college. And this album came out, and it was pretty interesting because it was like Prince was back in the culture kind right. of in a big way. Like he played S- he played Clouds on SNL, and I forget the other song. And it was kind of an unusual SNL performance because there was no commercial break between the songs. Like, they just let him play all the way through. Yeah, yeah. And this album in particular, I think, hit with some of my friends in a way that, like, I was kind of surprised. Like, I remember going to parties and hearing funk and roll play. Oh, wow. You know? Yeah, and I would be trying to play other things, and then people would get upset with me that I was not going with the official party protocol of only playing funk. No one wants to listen to Prince except for funk and roll. I'm like, okay, fine, whatever. Um, and so when it came for this, for this album, um, it was February. I was listening to some music, as I normally do. I was getting my little February playlist together, and I thought I need a little, little raisin for spice in this playlist. <laughs> and when I thought raisin for spice, the song Clouds came in my head. And I'm like, wait, this album's really good, I think. And I did have an elder album pick from this year, from the year of 20, Our Lord 2021. And I was listening to that, and then I was listening to Clouds by Prince, and I thought, maybe I want to show Noah artificial age more than I want to show him this newer thing. Not that I dislike this newer thing, but there might be another time for that. But I guess all this is to wind up to my point of, or my question, Um, Noah, what is your impression of Artificial Age by Prince? I was so worried. When the first track came on, Artificial Cage, also known yeah. as Artificial Cage, Artificial because cage. that's, that's the <laughs> Prince big Prince is a little stinker. Yep. <laughs> I was so worried when that track came on because I'm like, this sounds like someone trying to make a club banger. Yeah. I was very worried. And then Clouds comes on, and I'm like, we're fine. <laughs> we are good. We're fine. Yeah. Like, this yeah. is... This he is very, I think, aware of what he was doing in Artificial Cage. And I think that it was very deliberate and purposeful. The kind the kind of track that that was, I think it almost in a way is a comment or a critique on dance club music in a way. Yeah. Um, And the rest of this album is just really good. I think that every single track, I think this probably passes the Maguire test of every song being good. I think my least favorite song is maybe Breakfast Can Wait, 
I'm just not crazy mm. about just that song in in all told. Well, that song, yeah, I I'm I I like that song a lot. I think it's pretty funny. Um, it's I don't know if you know this, but you know what the single cover was for Breakfast Can Wait? I don't. It was Dave Chappelle as Prince holding a plate of pancakes. That's good. That is funny. <laughs> That is pretty good. Okay. That makes me like it more. I don't like the song more, but I like the idea of the song more. Yeah, I think that's where I'm at. <laughs> um, but, like, you know, I was afraid when I started listening to Artificial Cage. I'm like, what the fuck is this? Is this going to be some Mason fucking I like fair Abraham bullshit? And it's not. It's yeah. very much not. It's it, – I, I, I don't want to make this comparison because I don't like the person I'm comparing him to, but I think the comparison here works. Prince and Tom Brady – are very similar in the sense that I don't like that you said that at all, but okay. I, well, so I need you to justify this. <laughs> you can never count them out of anything. This you, is true. Okay. Tom can, Brady okay. is 43 years old. No one thought he was going to go to the Super Bowl. I'm not a Tom Brady fan myself, but he went to the Super Bowl with his team that he was on for the first time after being on the Patriots and having a pretty historic run with them going to six or winning six Super Bowls with them. I don't think anyone mm-hmm. thought he would go to the Super Bowl, let alone win the Super Bowl at 43 with a team that he had never played with before this year. And he crushed Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs, like straight up. Yeah. And he's 43. Prince is probably, what, in his early to mid-50s when this album comes out? Uh, he was born in 58. He would be 56 then, I think. So he's smack dab in the middle of his 50s. Probably was working on this album around, you know, age 40, 40, excuse me, 54, 55, maybe early 56, depending on, you know, how old he was and when this came out. But mm-hmm. it just rocks. And I was like, damn, he's old. He's, he's, he's over the hill. I didn't expect a late period Prince album to rock as hard as it did. And it rocks. It's fucking awesome. Yeah. This is a great album. Uh, for me, time is probably my, like, big track on this because i think it showcases yeah. what he can do this and this could be us i think like show i think i think i just said I yeah think. but uh, <laughs> yeah i think time shows what he can do on a sustained period and like really shows you like the levels that he can reach within a song and then this could be us is just like yep i know how to write a fucking sexy ass song you know what yeah. i mean and that's what he's yeah. great at so the, yeah 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 I, it, it feels like it does feel at a piece with like the kind of earlier classic print stuff that I, that I'm very familiar with and really like even going back to um, diamonds and pearls, which I have a new kind of appreciation for like within the last year or so. Yeah. It's very much like this is his first album. I think being back in the, my cursory research I was doing uh, this is his first album being back with Warner brothers after splitting that with them after I think the gold experience in 1995 and that's around when he was doing this love symbol and artist formerly known as Prince stuff, like legally yeah. changing his name to get out of a – doing a really cool thing, which is legally changing your name to get out of a contract with Warner Brothers. Yeah, it's fucking sick. <laughs> yeah, and I think you're right that, like, Artificial Cage, the first track, is also among my least favorite songs on this album. It's not an album that I dislike at all or songs that I think are bad or actively don't want to listen to. It's just – not my favorite, and it is. It does really feel like kind of a release of energy that he's had, even though he's been making music like pretty consistently, independently, or with I think smaller labels. Um, it, it's it's a fun like kind of weird like kind of '90s throwback, like kind of picking up where he left off, and then I love that the song "Clouds" starts with like a dial turning, so you can just be For like sure. out of that, going out of that area, 
and into this one. And it's pretty much just like nonstop good music, basically, from Clouds to the end. I'm with you. I think time was my big takeaway from this, this kind of go through and listening to it. Clouds is an old favorite. I love Clouds a lot. I think it's like kind of this, it's my kind of, I think, signature track on this album. But time was the one that I really enjoyed discovering and then coming back to. Um, and I think that um, This Could Be Us almost transcends like it's kind of meme context. Because if sure. you don't remember, This Could Be Us if you, or if you were playing was a huge meme at the time. And in like 2014, it's like, why is Prince a 54-year-old man or whatever writing a song based on a meme? And like almost a decade later, you listen to it and you're like, no, this song is just really, really fucking good. Like he was, he picked something up and he ran with it. Yeah, I don't know if he has any. I don't know if he had any idea that it was a meme. He may have just thought that, hey, that's interesting. I don't know. Prince was a weird guy. Prince was known to be on forums. I think. I think that that came out after he died. Was he was on forums? So I think that he had like some. <laughs> Prince was an incel. Prince. <laughs> Prince was Prince was an interesting guy. That's what that's what I'll say. Prince was an interesting guy. Um, yeah, I, I think he's fascinating. He is interesting. I don't know a ton about him. Like he's like I said earlier, I really really just knew Purple Rain and I knew you know the hits, but I had never really done a deep dive on him. This is my first listen through of a Prince album since listening to Purple Rain, probably in like early college or end of high school or something sure, like that. Sure, yeah, um, yeah, and it just. Man, it's just you, you can't count him out. I mean, even at the end, yeah. you know, you just can't you can't write this guy off as being over the hill or past his prime because these songs sound in my opinion just as fresh as some of the stuff that he was releasing when he was on top of the world. Like straight like straight up. Yeah. Time it's long, it's almost 7 minutes long, but I could hear that on like a dance hit station. Clouds would be yeah. make so much sense to be a top 40 song. This could be us. It would be it would be like that. Could be like a number one single. Like that's like so funky and like everyone I feel like would want to listen to that. Like they really like as much as the music is like done by a old guy, quote unquote, who like had a period of rain, no pun intended, but like had a serious period of yeah. like being on top of the world. You know, he's coming back later in his life at the almost end of his life, and he's like, guys. I still fucking got it, and if you want to listen, you're going to love this, and if you want to write me off, that's fine, because I know that I got people behind me who are going to support me, uh, and I just think that this is a real treat. This is a real treat. I think yeah. it's always fun to see a legend. Like, I, I don't think it's, like, too much to call Prince a titan, like a legend of, like, Absolutely. Music. I mean, I d yeah, depending on the day, I would call him my favorite pop star of all time, or the greatest pop star of all time. Not, it's pr not even just favorite, but just greatest, like, the apex of the, the medium. But that's, Damn. again, depending on the day. Uh, <laughs> that is a fucking bold-ass claim. I don't even know if I can, I don't even know if I can <laughs> dig into that with you right now. But either way, uh... It's really good. This is a really good album, uh, and I don't really have a lot to say about it other than it's just absolutely worth your time, and it's fun, and it sounds... I guess I would call, like, would you call Prince, like, previous to this, would you call him, him rock music, pop music? What would you call I would it? Do, so, um, I would do, yeah, I guess pop rock, R&B, too, kind of. This is a much more R&B, I think, influenced album. Sure, um, that's what I was going to... Yeah, like, in his 90s, well... Uh, pr pr uh, Diamonds and Pearls is also a really great R&B album, but I actually on on al on uh, allmusic.com, 
uh, I pulled up both the album themes and the album moods (laughs) for Artificial Cage. So do you want the themes or the moods first? Give me those themes. Give me those themes. So album themes, we got Maverick, Club, Cool and Cocky, Empowerment, (laughs) Girls Night Out. Let's go. Watch this. Guys Night Out. Let's go! Imagination. <laughs> Mischief. Partying. TGIF, baby. TGIF fucking up. In Love. Introspection. Late Night. Romantic Evening. Slow Dance. Those are all appropriate contexts for any song on this album, Jesus. I think. What is the moods, then, if those are the themes? Uh, very long list. Brash. Bravado. Celebratory. Eccentric. Energetic. Freewheeling. Passionate. Playful. Quirky. Sensual. Sexual. Sexy. Swaggering. Whimsical. <laughs> boisterous. Complex. Confident. Dreamy. Elaborate. Exuberant. Fun. Gutsy. Hedonistic. Joyous. Messy. Outrageous. Poignant. Rousing. Sleazy. Slick. Smooth. Soothing. Sophisticated. Spicy. Street smart. Stylish. Ambitious. Bright. Intimate. Romantic. Sentimental. Damn. <laughs> Those are also the names of all of his kids. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, childless cool. man prince prince was I believe I believe he he died a childless man which is a, a small tragedy but small tragedy I was anyways. I was gonna say good way to go out is what I was gonna say so a little bit of a little bit of opposite ends of the spectrum on that one but uh, the only reason I was asking what you would categorize his stuff oh I'm sorry he has one son he has one, oh he has one daughter I believe my mistake my mistake anyway got the one daughter we love it yeah. well the only reason I was asking what you would call his music from before is because this is like dance club and r&b to me because i would call yeah, it pop yeah, rock yeah. and then just straight up rock prior to this or funk can't can't forget the funk you really can't stop the funk um no. especially with prince and i feel like this is much more in the world of r&b not really to say that that's better or worse than what he was doing before but it definitely sounds different if you're mo- if you're really just used to like the purple rain 1999 sign of the times <sighs> yeah that's prince. purple rain is a great like just straight up rock album like that i think is just kind of top to bottom a rock album um this is a little closer like you were saying i think dance kind of club is a good way to put it because i just like i will put on my headphones listen to this and like walk around and today i was listening to it on my walk today and i was just like fuck man it's just making the world seem so much brighter so much better just listening to prince you yeah know? dude 100 i got some i got some fast facts for you i don't have Hell a lot yeah. actually for this but should we move on to that yeah let's do it yeah yeah let's do it artificial age ready for this it's the 37th studio album by american recording artist prince God fucking nuts yeah, dude. Uh, it was released on September 26, 2014. Okay, so this was the beginning of my senior year of high school. Uh, by NPG Records under a renewed license from Warner Brothers, marking the second collaboration of both parties since you said 1995's The Gold Experience. Prince released the album Plectrum Electrum, recorded with his touring band Third Eyed Girl, simultaneously with Artificial Age. And I haven't heard that album, like I said previously, but kind of interested to see what all that's all about. Uh, Artificial Age debuted at number five on the Billboard 200 and sold 51,000 copies in its first week. And Billboard Magazine's Kenneth Partridge said, quote, Prince is funnier, sexier, and more self-aware than he's been in ages, and that this is his most creative album since the 90s. Mm-hmm. Again, I'm not a Prince expert. Yeah, yeah. But I feel like that's a pretty fair statement. I don't feel like that's hyperbole. Mm-hmm. So No, I, I truth be told, I haven't listened to anything of his it's in like later than 1991 or maybe five. <laughs> I was in a little bit of gold experience today just for preparation. But man, there's some stuff in between 95 and this album that just looks 
pretty rough, and I don't have it in me to go deep into that just yet. Damn. Uh, my Mercedes Valuable Player, it's got to be a co-MVP. Got to be a co-Mercedes Valuable Player on this one. Mm. Time, and this could be us, like I said earlier, I think both show you the breadth of what he can do. Time is a longer song that sort of has different sections and different movements, and it feels a little bit yeah. more orchestrated. Uh, as much as, or- as as orchestrated as something can be, that's more of a pop slash R&B song. And this could be us, like I was saying before. It's a fucking pop hit. Like, it's just fun and bouncy and, like, colorful. And I think it just shows you the two sides of this album. Because there's different aspects, there's different parts of this album called affirmations. There's affirmation yeah. one and two, yeah. which is 40 seconds long. That's track nine. And then the last track, the 13th track on this album, is called Affirmation 3. And that kind of, I guess, for lack of a better term, it feels like it kind of tells the story of this album. Of, like, you know, be yourself, be free, be who you are, make the music Mm -hmm. you want to make, and good things will follow. If you follow your heart. Which I think is a great message. I think, yeah, I like that that's, I'm glad that you got that message out of this. Because I was kind of trying, yeah, um. I was trying to find like a, a succinct way to put that together, and I think you you did it, Chef. You absolutely did it. Yay! Thank you, Mason. Thank you. Yay! I give this a full recommend, which is the highest recommend you can give something on this show. What about oh, you, yeah, Mason? Brother. Give me your wrap up stuff. So my Mercedes Valuable Players. I'm gonna do a special, just a special mention, just a special shout out to um, the female vocalist who is featured very heavily in this. Her name's Leanne Lehavis, Le I believe. She's featured in. Uh, clouds and she is the voice of the affirmations and she oh, pops shit. up here okay. and there. Yeah. She, this album also got placed back on my radar because she has a very, very good R and B album from last year. Um, and she has a great cover of the, um, the, the Radiohead song weird fishes, uh, which is how I found her or was reintroduced to her. And I think that she deserves a shout out. I love her. I think she's a really interesting, um, and exciting artist. Uh, she has a great song called can't stop, uh, or can't fight rather can't fight that I listened to a lot last summer. Uh, but I would give my Mercedes valuable player just to Prince's guitar skills because uh, that is a, I don't want to say underrated, but I think, uh, or underappreciated I think, or I even underreported. I, I guess I get, so when Prince died, the, the clip that I saw shared around a lot, because at the time it was one of the only like clips of him. Cause he was very, um, uh, I don't want to say possessive, but very ca- cautious about his image. Um, and there is a clip of him playing Still My Guitars, Gently Weeps, I think at, at a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame thing. And just him, just like, one of the best, like this is my, maybe best pop artist is a little much, but I think best pop guitarist is not a, is not a uh, unfair thing to say. Like you just watch him play um, the guitar or listen to him and you're just like, I didn't even know that you could move your hands up and down a fretboard that fast. And there's just some guitar solos in this that I just listened to it. And I just think, God damn, like what a fucking talent this guy had. And for like 40 years, basically, like he started playing, like even his second album, Prince self-titled is just, you listen to that and you're like, fuck man, like this is the start of something really cool. And I think that his guitar playing is just one of the aspects of his personality and his music making that i i really miss and i just wanted to give it a shout out here when i can also a full recommend for me i think that this is this might be a good way for folks that are our age we'll say in like our kind of age group who were not familiar with prince to i think get into him because it sounds it's a little newer 
maybe sounds a little more familiar to stuff they're used to listening to. And then I would really recommend going back into his 80s albums, um, just kind of starting from his self-titled and just going straight through because that stuff really fucking holds up. I, I, I love that guy. Um, before I recommend for me, love Prince, love this album. Glad you loved it too. I, I think that you're 100% right in saying that he's one of the most underrated guitarists out there. I think that everyone knew him as a wild singer and a really – I. I don't even want to say that uh, it's I, I feel struggle whether or not I should say he's an underrated songwriter as well, because he wrote so many songs that you maybe would just never know were Prince songs. Yeah. Manic Monday is a Prince song by the Bangles. Nothing compares to you. His version of that that they released after he passed away. Fucking incredible. Holy yeah. shit. He's yeah. a great songwriter. And, you know, he worked with people like Sheila E and Morris Day and gave them opportunities to shine as well he was big into yeah. like you know lifting up other folks and being like i think you're talented like let's go let's run i want to help you out which i always admire in people who have a lot of clout and have a lot of yeah. uh, power is saying like i recognize something in that person i want to do what i can based on my level of yeah. platform to bring them along and i think he did that especially with sheila e and morris day in the time so yeah um, in 2019 i'm just looking at it now i just remembered he had an album that or an, a compilation came out of his like kind of unreleased singles called originals that was really incredible and the year before piano and a microphone 1983 which is just like him and i think an empty studio literally just him and a piano and a microphone just like kind of working his way through like early purple rain tracks astonishing i love it so much um i love prince i miss prince <laughs> yeah brother i miss prince too uh, moving from the musical Prince to the Prince of Milwaukee yes. filmmaking. <laughs> yes. Oh, incredible segue. Segue King shit right there. Incredible segue shit. Thank you, Chef. Uh, we got our third and final thing of the episode. We were talking about the first two things of the episode were from the last decade, from the 2010s. We're going back all the way to 1999, the year of the cyber athlete. Yeah, baby. <laughs> and the we're only year you're allowed to podcast about, that in 2020. There are two years now, 1999 and 2020. Those are the only years. That's it. Uh, that you can podcast about. They're actually the only years, period. But uh, this true. movie, yeah, that's true. Uh, the movie we're talking about today, it's another. It's our second documentary in a row, Mason. Yeah. It's our second documentary I in a like row. It. We, I, I, I like I, it. Like I've said before, I love a good documentary. The last time we talked about a documentary was with Jack, Billy the Kid. Before that, Shirkers. Now we're doing another fucking documentary. And it's yeah. 1999's American yeah. Movie, directed by Chris American Smith. American Movie. Woo. Snap, 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 snap. Clap, clap, clap. Mason, what, mm-hmm. do you, what do you know about this before watching it? Know anything about it? I, this is my first time watching. I just want to say this right off the bat. Just get it off my chest. First time watching. This is a movie that had a cult around it that I felt was always kind of impenetrable. So I just never got around to watching it. Um... But I've always I've been aware of it since I probably late high school, and I want to say it was my friends. Uh, it was popped up a lot, and I think first brought to my attention by the angry video game nerd, Damn. who really loved this fucking movie and would like reference it in his videos. And then this that movie got referenced by him, and then it was also referenced by a bunch of other video like kind of internet movie reviewer guys. And it just like kind of kept popping up like throughout my life. And I just was never able to give it the time, I guess, until I was recording a podcast for it. But Noe. Yes. Tell me about your life with this movie. Uh, with pleasure, chef. 
so in high school, in my film classes, my high school film teacher preached the gospel of this movie hard. He's like, Hell this yeah. is one of the best documentaries I've ever seen. It's funny. It's poignant. It's really well done as far as how they structure everything. They go with the flow mm. when things don't necessarily go the like filmmaker's way as far as like crafting like the perfect narrative or whatever. Like he like was like this is like a really just great movie both on a content level and on the documentary form level. And he just kept preaching it and preaching it until one day he's like all right, I guess fuck it. I guess I'll show you guys American movie. Like I talk about it so much like we might as well just watch it. So we did. We watched it in class. I don't think we finished it in one class period because I think class period was like 80 minutes long and this is like an hour 45 or whatever. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But he was right. (laughs) It is just funny. It's so fucking funny and it's so sad and it's so poignant and I just couldn't believe that it lived up to this hype. That this it's guy pretty irresistible. Yeah, that was my thing with it too. Like with these movies, you never think it's gonna live up to the hype, or you always freak yourself out that it's not gonna live up to the hype. And I gotta say, more times than not, stuff lives up to the hype. Yeah, a lot of the times it does. And um, I think American Movie is one of those movies. Uh, if you're not familiar with what this movie is, it came out in 1999. It follows Milwaukee filmmaker Mark Borchardt, uh, yeah. who Midwest, is a- Midwest's best. <laughs> Yeah, Midwest finest drinking fucking Schlager or whatever, Schmitz or whatever in the fucking editing bay. I think Um, think he had past Blue Ribbon in the freezer, which is a real incredible dude move. That is. He is a fucking – he is a dude's rock kind of guy. But he is attempting to make independently a feature film called Northwestern. Absolutely Mm -hmm. insane name for a movie if you ask me. Um, But it's falling apart, and he can't do it, and he realizes – fuck, man, I'm not going to be able to make this fucking movie, man. So he returns to this short film that he's been trying to make for, I think, at the point of filming six years, I think, at the point of which they were Was it filming that long? It. He said he had filmed the, like, the first part of it in, like, 1990 and never oh, gone okay. back to, like, film it. And the movie came out in 99, but they were filming from 1996 into 1997. Uh, I think they started in 95. That could be my mistake, though. It was sometime it was around then. Like, it was sometime yeah, right, in the right, mid-90s. Right, right, right. So he had been working on this movie for, like, five or six years, this short. He had, like, left it, abandoned the project, and he's like, well, I guess I better try and film Co- – he calls it Coven, <laughs> first and foremost. Which it, or it, does he call it Coven it's or Coven? Coven. It's Coven. He calls it Coven. you see, Coven is the correct pronunciation, but it's Coven. And it's not Coven because that sounds too much like oven, so it has to be <laughs> And he, like, tells people that, and his master plan is to finish uh, Coven, or excuse me, Coven. Or no, is it Coven. Coven, right. yeah. Right. Coven. I always fuck yeah. it up because it, yeah, okay. His master Coven plan. Coven 19. Oh, goodness gracious. Oh, Mason, you're done. You're fired. <laughs> you're <fucking done. laughs> uh, but his master plan is to finish this short, sell enough reels of this film to f- pay everyone back, and finance yeah. the feature film Northwestern, which he starts to make yeah. at the beginning of this. And then from there, once you understand what his goal is, it's just a comedy of errors and look into Midwest, Middle America, the pursuit of the American dream, whatever that means, means something to Mark. Uh, just a really fascinating, funny, poignant, beautiful, I dare say, yeah. beautiful movie. So. 
that was my experience with it. I hadn't watched it since, and I wanted to revisit it because I've been jonesing for it. I wanted to see how it would, how my experience of watching this movie would be different now having actually gone through film school and actually, like, yeah. made – I mean, I made movies in high school too, but, like, you know, me and a camera and two other dudes. And this time it was, like, yeah. me, a director of photography, a production designer, multiple actors, multiple locations, multiple days of shooting one thing. I wanted to see how – my experience with this movie would differ if at all, or I would have a different perspective on it now having gone through film school and having done it. I don't know if it really did, to be honest with you, only in the sense that Mm -hmm. like Mark is so independent that he's literally doing everything himself. So it actually made me think more of high school and really just wanting to do something on my own volition and not being in some sort of program to do it. But Mason, you also went to film school did this movie mm-hmm. remind you of going to film school at all, or what did it really no, re- harken back to? Like you, this reminded me more of just when I was young and making movies just with my friends whenever we got around to it. You know, yeah. like just kind of picking, like that kind of spirit, like that, just fuck it, we have a camera, we can make these, uh, just, we can make a movie basically just out of whatever we have around us. Um, that's closer to what it was, reminded me of. And it's also a thing that I think is just, like, so... uh, He's described, I think, by one of his brothers in this movie as being, like, kind of a prime... Mark Mark is. Mark Borchard is being described as being, like, a primeval person. Like, he just has this, like, kind of... He just came out of the bog and wanted to make movies and wanted to make just, like, the grossest-looking fucking movies, too. Yeah. And I never really had a desire to make that kind of cinema, but people who are really into it there literally nothing will stop them like a buddy of mine from high school is like making like these kind of movies and makes a couple a year i think or is involved with making a couple a year i don't think he writes and directs all of them but makes a lot of movies and i'm just like i'm so jealous and admirable of this work ethic like this just nothing's gonna fucking stop me no amount of me being broke is gonna stop me i'm gonna go to the 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 college the university of wisconsin milwaukee and use their editing equipment to do this like just just this fucking can-do spirit of this fucking guy and these people is just, like, I love it, man. I think that that shit is really, really just just what it's all about for me. And it's lovely to see the people in his life, like, the spectrum of people, how they feel about this for him. And they're very candid about how they feel about not only Mark's desire to do this, but his, like, lack of desire to do anything else, almost, you know? Like, his lack of desire to, I don't want to, you know, I'm not passing judgment, but in a lot of ways, be a present father for the three kids that he has with his Mm -hmm. uh, former girlfriend. And that was something I had completely forgotten about uh, in the first watch of this movie and really hit me hard this time. Like, damn, this dude is, like, almost 30, if not 30 years old. He's got three really young kids and not only is he trying to edit a movie, which requires your all your concentration and thought in the entire world to finish a movie, especially when you're in post, but to also raise three kids at the same time and yeah. keep them entertained and keep them, you know, happy and afloat financially. It's nuts. It is nuts yeah. to try and do that. And so on one hand, deep respect for Mark for that, but also like, dude, what are you doing? And that's what I think is, like, makes him such an enduring figure is that, like, kind of 
he has this like kind of singular drive, singular ambition, but he's also I, I, um, he's also a person who's who can um, I don't want to say neglect because it's not that quite that severe because he is with them to the degree that he is sure. he's trying to get them involved and stuff, you know. But you definitely see where his attentions are, and he does say that he desires to be a, a, a strong parent, and you do see him like being a good dad. I think in some scenes in here, I don't think he's like a monster or some completely irresponsible. Or he's something. not. No, but he's also like a guy whose thing is that he wants to make movies, and kind of once he's in movie mode, it's just like tunnel vision on that. Absolutely, you know, at the expense of ev- almost everybody else in his life. Anything unless, else in his life. Unless that person is directly helping him make his short or his feature, they don't exist to him. Yeah, and it is, yeah, and it is nice, like, I don't know if it's because, like, the, the movie kind of suggests that he's, like, very aggressive and asking for things, and, and that's how he gets what he wants, and it, the, the movie makes a case that that is the thing, but you also get a sense that, like, there are people in his life that, like, you know, genuinely love him and genuinely want the best for him and genuinely want to see these movies get made, and I think that that is also really... Fuck! I can. We, when are we gonna start talking about Mike Skank, who I think is one of the gr- another great all time fucking <laughs> dude? Not a, it's not Mike Skank. Are you kidding me? Mike Shank. Mike Shank. I'm sorry, Mike. <laughs> I love you. Mike love Shank you, Mike. is the best friend a dude could ask for. I love that guy. I want to be like Mike Shank. Like I really love and respect Mark Borchard, but I can never. I don't think I have that amount of drive in me. I like being Mike Shank. I like being the guy that just shows up for his bud. You know. He is. My film teacher, I'm going to shout him out. Shout out to Kevin Bennett. Uh, woo! Woo! Uh, saw him during my time back home. He was in my neighborhood, and I was doing my really? walk, and I had my headphones on, and I hear the world's loudest car horn that I had ever heard in my whole life. And I, like, turned around, and I was like, what the fuck is that? And it's this big-ass – I'm not going to say what <laughs> car he has that would have been insane yeah, don't dox his car yeah I, it was it was this car <laughs> that was literally like 10 feet away from me and he peeks his head out and it's my fucking film teacher from high no school shit. with his partner and he's like waving at me and i'm like very cool dude i had no fucking idea that this guy even gave two shits about me let alone enough to like get my attention i don't know what he was doing in my neighborhood i didn't end up asking him we literally talked for like maybe 60 seconds at most because he had to go somewhere and I was, like, finishing my walk or whatever. Uh, but he's the one who showed it to me. So shout-out to Kevin Bennett. And he always yeah. said that Mike Shank is the best anti-drug PSA that he's ever seen <laughs> in his entire life. And as much as I, I don't think I would say that about Mike Shank, I understand where he's coming from because right. Mike says to the camera, Mark and I met because he liked to party in the way that I liked to party. So, yeah, in yeah. theory, they met in college or in and around the age in which you're doing a lot of partying, uh, and they bonded over that. They bonded over drinking. They bonded over going out late. They bonded over trying to score, uh, to use a Midwestern term. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, they're best, they're, they're best buds, and that is, like, one of the most beautiful parts about this movie is that Mike has no – he passes no judgment on Mark at all. He literally just wants to support him in the way that, in the best way that he can. And usually the best way that he can support him is going out into a fucking field and propping up a scarecrow <laughs> that yeah. he doesn't know why he's putting in the movie in the first place. It's beautiful. Yeah. 
It's beautiful. Making music too. His he's the the performer of all the music in the movie, and it's a pretty. I I think he does a pretty tremendous job. And the song that he plays towards the end, they leave in some like I'll say imperfections, uh, where he, the beat kind of gets away from him. But I think that like I love that they left it in here, and I love that he's like he's a all that to say he's a very gifted guitarist, and I love that the filmmakers give him time to shine, um, with his guitar skills. Absolutely, absolutely. The speaking of get a guitarist, it goes <laughs> Prince Mike Shank. <laughs> Prince Mike Shank, Mason doing the intro to this podcast. Yes, <laughs> those are the three ranks. And on some days that try that pyramid inverses, and Mason gets to go yeah. to the top, depending on how we're all feeling. But uh, you can speak to this probably a little bit better than I can. But I think that there is so much natural beauty in this movie. Uh, as far yeah. as the landscape mm-hmm. and just the way in which that section of America is captured. I even think there's beauty in where poor old Uncle Bill lives in that trailer park. And you walk into that yeah. trailer park and it looks like a downsized version of Gray's Gardens. You know, like just yeah. like shit everywhere. It gets worse every time you come in. Bill's sitting in the same chair. I think there is still some sort of macabre beauty surrounding all that in that area. And you can probably speak to the actual landscape better than me. Yeah. I'm not familiar with this part of Milwaukee at all. Um, But there is a Midwesternness to it that I do recognize and appreciate, especially because the night before I watched this movie, um, roommate Colin and I had watched, had quite the triple feature. We watched The Conformist. Jesus. (laughs) And then we put on the free, we turn on the free channel, and on the comedy free channel was uh, Alexander Payne's Citizen Ruth, which is filmed in and around oh, Nebraska. Okay, which nice. Which is where roommate, roommate Colin is from. And that's also a movie that uses the Midwest, I think, really well, too. Yes. And one part in this movie that really stood out to me was when um, Mark is talking about, like, why Night of the Living Dead is such an influence on him. And it's like, oh, you see these, like, black and white trees or whatever and then there's like a cut to like some shots that mark um mark did to like to kind of you know ape that and it reminded me of like why i like am obsessed with movies like widows or the fugitive or like these kind of chicago set movies because it's a huge thing when you're a young person to see a movie that looks like where you either is from a place that you recognize is filmed in and around a place that you recognize or looks close enough to a place that you recognize that you think like god damn like a movie takes place in the woods you know and i spend a lot of time in right in the woods you know exactly you, you know what i'm saying that was something that like really resonated with me where it's like yeah it is really cool to see like your town on film even if it's not your town you know sure 100 percent. have you spent any time in the milwaukee wisconsin in surrounding area not not enough so i have a lot of family and friends that live up there that moved up there in the last couple of years i haven't really had the last time I was in Milwaukee, I drove up with my sister and our friend. Uh, we uh, went to see Bob's Burgers live and then <laughs> stayed at the best, at, like the Holiday Inn and then drove back. So it's a fun town that I've like driven around in a lot, but I haven't like spent a lot of actual time in. And it's like a train ride up from Chicago. And that was like a pre and now post COVID plan of mine, trip of mine, just Take a little train up yeah. to Milwaukee. Do a day. Yeah, you can nice. do a day. Do a day trip. Stay yeah. overnight even if you want to and you know, like I a have, like a Best yeah. Western or something or a friend's house. It's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever did you watch any of Joe Para Talks with you? 
I did. I really did like Joe. The first I watched the first season. I really like Joe Parra talks with you. Well, brother, you got to check the second season out because Mark shows up in the second season. Hell yeah, brother. Because they go to Milwaukee for a little bit in the second season and Mark shows up and you're like, how the fuck is this guy continuing to get work? And you have to imagine that it's kind of like I talked about the movie um, Windy City Heat on my other podcast with Ben Rotenberg. Uh, mm-hmm. And that movie is interesting because it's this guy named Perry Caravallo who says in the beginning of the movie, I don't care if I want to be, I don't care to be an actor. I just want to be famous. Like he says right. that, like okay. I'm more, in, I'm more interested in being famous and they fuck with him the entire movie. The whole movie is literally just one giant prank for this guy. D- whole elaborate thing. And it was produced by Jimmy mm-hmm. Kimmel. But in the end, Perry ends up being famous through the movie Windy City Heat. He gets what he mm. wants in being famous because of the success, this cult movie in Windy City Heat. Mark is not Perry Caravallo. Mark is very yeah. hardworking and very humble in a lot of ways, but also extremely uh, assertive and extremely aggressive in going after what he wants. Got an insane work ethic. It's always There's always like that one kid that you go to school with or like one group of kids who it's like they could give less of a shit about trying to get an A in geometry or an A in, you know, world history or whatever. But the one subject they love is Lit and Comp. And so they're going to put all yeah. their eggs in the basket of Lit and Comp or all their eggs in the basket of photography or all their eggs in the basket of chemistry, whatever that thing that they actually give a shit about is. And they don't care about the rest of the other stuff. They don't care if they fail the other classes. That's who I see Mark as. Because I don't even yeah. think Mark is, like, dumb. I don't think he's, like, a dumb guy. No, 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 no. I think he's no. got a lot of drive and a lot of intelligence, particularly in the areas in which he finds the most to gain yeah. from. You know what I mean? But he's also he also has his vices, and he also has his um, – he has his vices, and I also think that he uh, – there's no balance in his life, which I think is interesting, that he's, like, At kind least of in what in we on. see. In least in what we see, that's true. This is such a small window of time in this man's life, and it's been twenty something years since this movie even came out. You know, and didn't he finish um, Northwestern a couple of years ago? That Do I, I have that correct. That I don't know. I know that the short, which I can't say, Coven. Uh, Coven. 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 I know that Coven has been completed, and it is a special yeah. feature on the DVD that was released in like the early two thousands. I've never seen it, but okay. I own that special uh, edition DVD, uh, and it's in storage in uh, North Hollywood, California. So you can steal that if you really want it. But uh, uh, I'll be on. I, yeah, I'm on my way there right now. Uh, Coven Northwestern is still listed as in production on IMDb. Okay, love that. Love, love, love yeah. that. Actually, um, but there's like always that kid or that group of kids who it's like, damn, they're going fucking hard in robotics, and they're probably failing world history right now. And that's Mark yeah. Borchardt to me. That is that guy in a nutshell uh yes he has his own little problems he is in great debt it seems as though he is a high functioning alcoholic in the movie or has a little bit of a drinking problem and he has three kids that he doesn't see very much because he's spending all of his time making movies but it just goes to show you what he wants to achieve and what he wants to do with his life and what he's able to achieve like absolutely he's, he's still you know he's manages to um he no spoilers but he is able to achieve something he sets out to do and it's really nice uh well coven i guess we just spoiled it he, he finishes coven and it's really nice when 
he gets to screen it at his hometown um, theater or wherever he screens it. It's it's really it's really a nice nice moment. And it makes me ask the question. This is like at least for me the last like real talking point on my list of things before we get into sort of our wrap up stuff here. Um, mm-hmm. But especially during a global pandemic, when a lot of people's plans has, plans have changed or have been put on pause or whatever, it really made me ask the question like, what is success? What does success yeah. mean? I think to mark success is completing these projects. I think that is yeah. that is success to him, or at least that's what I glean success from him. But uh, the other, but the thing that makes him interesting and complicated is that he also like drives through those rich neighborhoods in Milwaukee and is like, my house is going to look kind of like that, but it's going to have like a different addition on the side, and mm-hmm. you know, I don't want to fucking clean up human shit that I see at the cemetery anymore, yeah. you know. And he's got these lofty dreams for himself. But as an outside observer, you know, like, hey, you got a long way to go uh, before you're getting that. Like, yeah. you should probably focus on finishing your short film that you've been working on for six years before you think about buying a million dollar home, you know, in the affluent suburbs of right. Milwaukee. So, right. makes him interesting. It makes him complicated. And there's a lot of love for Mark. There's also some opposition for Mark, specifically from, I think, his dad is probably at what you think to be the most oppositional figure in his life, but then his dad kind of comes around at the end, which is kind of nice. Yeah, in the movie, his dad is the, the one of the most opposing forces. There's also this Alyssa person who we never see on film, on camera, as far as you can tell, uh, who's his, who's the mother of his children, and is always like kind of getting in between him and uh, getting in between him and his current girlfriend. Um, who I cannot remember her I, name at the moment. I really liked her. I wrote her name down. It was Joan, I believe. Yeah, Joan. Yeah. That's right. He calls her Joni. So many of my so many of my notes here are just me writing characters' names with little smiley faces next to them. Yep, <laughs> that actually is most of Mason's notes. I can I can vouch for that. Um, Mason, I have I get I wrote down some of my favorite quotes from this movie because okay. this movie is hilarious. Like we've said this earlier, is, yeah. Um, can I share my quotes with you? Please do. Please do. Uh, this is one that I don't know if I got 100% right, but I did get paraphrased as far as what it what it's trying to convey. And it's when he's sitting in the car in the beginning of the movie, and he's like, I got to rewrite this script, man. There's some corny lines in here that would make the Pope cry. And I just thought that was so <laughs> fucking – that's just like a brilliant thing to say. Like, that is just so fucking funny. Uh, and then Mike Shank at one point says, here's what I think of the lottery – it's like when you play the lottery, sometimes you win and sometimes you lose, but it's better than using drugs or alcohol because when you use drugs and alcohol, especially drugs, you always you lose. You always lose. Fucking yeah. brilliant. That's just a fucking – I wish that someone – it's crazy that someone didn't write that and that he just said that out loud. It's like this Midwestern, like, simple wisdom, you know, at the end of the yeah. day. Um, yeah. This one is a – this is a back and forth between Mark and uh, and Mike – Mark says, do you think this is a little bit cathartic for you? Mike says, uh, very cathartic, Mark. Mark says, do you know what cathartic means? Mike says, no. <laughs> it's kind of like us on this podcast. Mason, yeah. do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? No. <laughs> no. Uh, if, if I can find 3,000 people like you across this country, man, I'm in business. Mike says, of course, man. I mean, shit. That's what rush tickets were. 
Doesn't rush tickets were back. Yeah, doesn't yeah. rush tickets were back in the That's day. That's what rush tickets were back in the day. Uh, Mark says, last night, man, I was so drunk, I was calling Morocco, man. Trying to get the Hotel Hilton at Tangiers in Casablanca, man. That's pathetic, man. Is that what you want to do with your life? Suck down peppermint schnapps and try and go Morocco at 2 in the morning? <laughs> That's senseless. But that's what happens, man. <laughs> that is the perfect distillation of that guy. That's so fucking here's, good. Here's my, one of my favorite uh, Mark Borchardt-isms. Uh, kick fucking ass. I got a MasterCard. <laughs> so good. What is it? He, like, gets a MasterCard. Like, someone sends him a MasterCard, right? It's like he's opening up a bunch of bills and being like, oh, I got this shit to pay, this shit to pay. And you're like, heart is breaking. He's like, oh, this guy's under, like, not tremendous. Well, tremendous debt. Um, and he does tremendous, but he goes, uh, he's going through and just like, oh shit, like this guy is just like these, these money problems. Like he's not going to be able to make this movie or whatever. And then he opens another envelope and it's just an ass saying, kick fucking ass. I got an, a master card. <laughs> it's like spirits one. turn so quickly. Um, I also like the scene between him and I think it's his son where his son swears and he goes, wait, did you just swear? <laughs> I don't care if you did. I just want to know. Like, I don't want to be hearing things. I don't <laughs> like, know. If, I don't, I don't want to be like making stuff up in my mind. I just want to know if you did. I don't care. Yeah. So fucking good. Oh, I got yeah. one more. Uh, there's no excuses, Paul. No one's ever paid admission to see an excuse. No one's ever faced a black screen that says, well, if I had these set of circumstances, we would have shot this scene. So please forgive us. Use your imaginations. I've been to the movies hundreds of times, and that's never occurred. I just, you know, I've been to the movies hundreds of times, too, and I can't, I can't picture it happening either. The only time I've ever seen that happen was in film school, where people would just, like, screen cuts of yeah, movies. Vi- yeah. And they would just be like, insert VFX shot of, like, ball flying through the air. And I'm like... Right, oh, boy, guys. Yeah, it's like in it's it's divine presence to be shot in uh in in Hail Caesar. Yes, exactly, exactly. We will be putting in divine presence here. Um, yeah. Those are all my favorite quotes, Mason. Do you have any other quotes before I dive into these fast facts? I don't have any other quotes. I just want to give a quick shout out to the man, the myth, the legend, Uncle Bill. Yes, we got to talk Paul about. Yep, we got to. We got it. We got it. Before we get into the fast facts and wrap up stuff, we did not give our due diligence to Uncle Bill, who was. What the relationship between Mark and Uncle Bill was really sweet. I really liked that. It's challenging at times because Uncle Bill is like declining in both physical well being and mental well being throughout the course of the movie. Yeah. But you realize that this is actually Mark's biggest supporter at the end of the day. Uh, yeah. And Mark and Uncle Bill lives. And Mark in- and Mark generally loves this man too. He's not just like a money fountain. Like he really wants to use this guy and put him in his movie. Yeah, he lit. One of the most egregious scenes in the entire movie is when he's trying to get him to say it's all right, it's okay. Uh, it's uh, there's something to live for. Jesus told me so. That and they're yeah. doing like literally like 25 takes. Like a David Fincher amount of takes on <laughs> that. <laughs> well, he can't get it fucking right, and I actually f- I feel bad for Mark in that moment because I'm like. Dude, you're using your uncle who, like, clearly doesn't have all the mental faculties to be, like, able to remember that line. And yet, yeah. he's your best bet for saying that line because it's, like, an old person saying it in the uh, in in the movie uh, that he's making. So, just an absolute legend. He really does love uh, Mark, and Mark really does love him. He, like, bathes Uncle Bill at during Thanksgiving yeah. at one point, which is just, like, a little moment to show you how much he actually does care about him. <clears throat> and at the end of the movie, small spoiler, but there's not really any spoilers in this movie, I feel like, at the end of the day. But the last thing that you see, well, not the last thing you see, but there's a title that comes up after the main part of the movie that says, 
Uncle Bill passed away in like 1997 or whatever it is, or like mm-hmm. later that year, and he left like fifty thousand dollars to Mark or something like that to like complete Northwestern, which is just like, I mean, that's just so sweet, Incredible. especially since you don't yeah. really know what Uncle Bill thinks of the money that he gave to Mark throughout the movie. Like, it's kind of ambiguous if Mark mm-hmm. is like, or if Uncle Bill is like, man, this guy used my money appropriately, or he like squandered everything that I gave him. It's a nice little moment from beyond the grave of like, hey, like keep doing your thing. Like I believe in you. Everyone needs just one person yeah, in their life I, to believe in them like that. I I agree a hundred percent. I pumped my fist at the end. I I like was so sad when he died, and then I was like, hell yeah, Uncle Bill. Hell yeah, hell Uncle yeah, Bill. Because they do it Let's so well. They do it yeah. so well because it's like that title comes up on the top part of the screen. It's like Uncle Bill passed away on this date, and you're like, fuck. And they have like four seconds of pause, and then the next title comes up. That's like. He left Mark fifty thousand dollars or whatever it was, like yeah. in his will to finish this Northwestern. Is, yeah, to your, I think you you mentioned this when you were talking about your the history with this movie. This is a movie that is really good at delineating information, um, and just also just presenting this story, um, and documenting this guy in this in this this very specific period of time. Um, so shouts out to I think Chris Smith and. Um, so Chris Smith is the only official director, but Sarah Price is listed Price. at the beginning yeah. as a film by Sarah Price and Chris Smith. But according to and IMDb, they kind of split responsibility. They kind of split responsibilities in the movie. Where like Chris shot, and then she did the sound, and did they edit together, or I don't know. But I know um, that like Chris is listed as the sole director on IMDb, which is like probably the best bet we're gonna get as far as like the correct information but it does list mm-hmm. sarah price as one of the a film by people at the beginning of the movie um and they don't try and deify mark in this movie they really just try no, and present yeah. him as the complicated complex person that he is and i think that is the best service that they can do for mark because they don't make him out to be something that he's not they show him as he is and i think that's beautiful to be shown exactly as you are warts and all personally agreed uh, yeah. yeah 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 should i d- dip these fast facts let's let's dip let's dip some fast facts into some sweet and sour and some some spicy szechuan sauce mm, spicy szechuan sauce morty <laughs> spicy szechuan sauce mason <laughs> hey <laughs> i got some fast facts about american movie mark borchardt and chris smith believe it or not uh, American Movie is a 1999 documentary film directed by Chris Smith. The film chronicles the real 1996 to 1997 making of, is it Coven or Coven? I can't remember. Coven. Coven, an independent horror film directed by filmmaker Mark Borchardt. Produced for the purposes of raising capital for another film that Borchardt intends to make, the epic North Northwestern. Coven suffers from numerous setbacks, including poor financing, a lack of planning, Mark's burgeoning alcoholism and the ineptitude of the family and friends that Borchardt hires as his production staff. Filming for the movie American Movie began in 19, uh, September of 1995 and concluded in August of 97. It's a long fucking time to be following That's a, a subject around. a long time to make around. a movie. That yeah. is almost two years. Literally a month shy of two years. A one year and 11 months. The film was a critical success upon its debut and went on to win the Grand Jury Prize for Documentary at the Sundance Film Festival. The film was released on DVD by Sony Pictures Home Entertainment on May 23rd, 2000. <laughs> Excuse me, I'm dying over here, coughing. Uh, as a special edition, which includes a commentary by Smith, Sarah Price, Mark Borchart, Mike Shank, along with the film Coven, and 22 deleted scenes. That is crazy that there's 22 deleted scenes. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, Borchart says the word man 
151 times during this film, according to IMDb. Chris okay. Smith completed his first film, American Job, while attending the University of Wisconsin, University of Wisconsin Milwaukee's graduate film program. He was nominated for Someone to Watch Award for the Independent Spirit Awards. Smith met Borchart while he was editing American Job. Mark Borchart was born and raised in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Started making films at the age of 14 with a Super 8 camera that was given to him by the guy who lived down the street. After serving three years in the military, he continued his cinematic endeavors at the local university. In the mid-90s, he wrote and produced Halloween radio dramas, which were broadcast annually and won a fellowship from the Milwaukee Arts Futures Board. Since then, Borchardt has been an act- has been active appearing on television movies. This is sort of that Perry Caravallo effect, but Mark Borchardt did it first. Because of the success of American Movie, Borchardt was able to sort of make a career for, him- for himself doing various things. Borchardt has made five appearances on The Late Show with David Letterman, including serving as Letterman's 2000 election correspondent. Some of those videos are hilarious. All right. Uh, he made several appearances on The Show with No Name, a show in Austin, Texas, between 2000 and 2003. In 2004, he played a cameo version of himself in, you guessed it, folks, Family Guy, along with friend and American movie co-star Mike Shank. He and Mike have also hosted their own series on Zero TV, Mark and Mike. And in 2006, Mark and Mike hosted a national television special called Night of the Living Dead, live from Wisconsin on Halloween night. In 2004, he announced that he would direct Scare Me and sent out casting calls. In 2008, he announced a 2009 release date, which was originally slated for a 2005 release date. As of summer 2010, the movie was still in production, and as of 2021, it has still not been released. I love that. (laughs) In April Mm -hmm. 2012, Borchardt stated that about 65% of the film had been shot and that he was happy with the first 40 pages of the script. (laughs) However, he maintained parts of the script needed to be revised, and while he had rough cut of some footage at home, there was no completion date for the place of the project. According to a March 2013 update from the Scare Me IMDb page, the release date has been set for April 1st, 2014. I don't think we've gotten it. And last but not least, in 2018, he directed a documentary called The Dundee Project, which focused on attendees of a UFO festival in Wisconsin. The film premiered at Slamdance Film Festival in Park City, Utah, then played at Fantastic Fest in Austin, Nighthawk Cinema in Brooklyn, and Chicago Critics Film Festival. That movie actually is completed. I've never seen it, but he did mm-hmm. direct a documentary that came out in 2018 called The Dundee Project. So that actually is a completed feature film, albeit a documentary. Maybe that's what I was thinking of and not night and not Northwestern. Okay. Okay. Uh, my there's so many things I could pick for my Mercedes valuable player, but every time I mm-hmm. was like thinking about what I should pick, it all really just boiled down to the friendship between Mark Borchart and Mike Shank. I really think that is just the beautiful gleaming thing that shines above all the other shit that they have to deal with is that beautiful, completely not, you can't script a friendship like that. Like that is a real true friendship that those two have. And I would hope and think that they're going to be friends till their dying day. So that's my Mercedes valuable player. And I, although I gave the Prince recommend album a full recommend, I don't know if I can't. I'm not going to say that it's a catfish because that's Mason's thing. But like this gets a full, full, full recommend. This is one of my favorite movies of all time. Uh, Yeah. Mason, what are your what are your little things? This one, this I think that my Mercedes valuable player is also going to be uh, because I'm with you. There's just there's so it's an embarrassment of riches with with good things in this movie. I think I'm just going to have to settle with it being also um, the friendship between uh, Mike and Mark. Um, just the, oh, 
Kate, sorry. Uh, <laughs> I just got a recording. The, the recording has stopped. The, the disk space is insufficient. That doesn't. That is not the notification I'm seeing. I'm seeing I'm still recording. I don't know what's going on with this. Damn, this is a fucking wild-ass episode. This is a wild episode. episode. I, so, friendship between Mark and Mike, um, that's the real big thing here. That's the thing that's, like, the kind of the sweetest and the kind of little... It's it's um, the, the sweetest element of this and the stuff that I think... The thing that feels most specific to this movie. I am going to give a catfish... I'm going to give a full, 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 also full recommend to this movie. It was such a delight to watch this and realize that it was even better than it had been hyped up to see. I want to give a catfish to Mark Borchardt for finishing Coven, though. Yes. I don't know if Coven's actually a good movie, but the fact that he fucking made it, I feel like the catfish award was made specifically for something like (laughs) Coven. You know, where it's like, it may not be good. It may not actually be, it, it may be weird. But God damn it, some guy put some real time and effort into making this thing, and he made it with some people that he loved, and nothing's more catfish to me than that. So, damn. full recommend for the movie American Movie. Don't have any firsthand recommendation, any firsthand experience with the film Coven, but the fact that he got it fucking done, yeah, that's pretty cool to me. Yep, it really is, and that is like what I was talking about earlier is like defining success for yourself. You know, a lot of people have yeah. de- definitions of success. I think it varies from person to person. But the fact that he actually was finally able to complete a project, that is huge for that guy. I mean, I, re- I don't mean that in a diminutive way at all. That is something he hadn't been able to do, and he did it, and that's amazing. Yeah. I'm No, it is, it's truly impressive. I, it's, this movie will make you feel really good. <laughs> like, that's just really what it comes down to. Like, this movie makes you feel really fucking good. I loved it. I loved it. Full recommends all around. That's it. Hell yeah. We're back, That's baby. It. We did it. We're back, We're back doing baby. it's on the list. My computer's good. We've had some crazy shit happen during this episode. But I'm going to give you some I'm gonna give you some plugs now, Mason. Are you ready? Yeah, let's do it. Let's plug it. Let's plug it up. Plug it up. Plug it up. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram, at Noah Marger on Twitter, at Instagram, or at fucking Noah.Marger on Instagram. Letterboxed, Moen Arger. You can listen to my favorite podcast, the podcast about people's favorite things. Uh, since we didn't have an episode, a real full episode last week, listen to the episode that came out with friend of this show, Nina Kramer. We talked about lying on the floor and thinking. I think it's a really, really good episode. Highly recommend it. And this coming week on Thursday, you can listen to my conversation with also friend of this podcast, Dustin Titcomb. We will be talking about the Gorge Amphitheater and Sasquatch Music Festival in Washington State. Another really good episode. Check those out. Uh, you can f- listen to that wherever you get your podcast: Spotify, Apple Op- Podcasts, Stitcher, Pocket Casts, The Moon, <laughs> The Moon, uh, and you can listen or you can watch your local government stuff uh, on Instagram and YouTube, Instagram YLG.World, That's not with a period, and your local government comedy on uh, YouTube. My other little recommendo. Go listen to that Courtney Barnett, Kurt Vile album from 2017. A lot of sea lice. Good album. Good album. Good album. I hadn't really Good given album. really given Courtney Barnett a real chance. I'd never heard anything that she had done all the way through. And I had a very interesting view of Kurt Vile because I heard him interviewed once and I was like, man, this guy should just stick to playing music. But, uh, mm. <laughs> but it's a great album. Really like it. Uh, listen to that. Mason, take us home.
You can listen to my other podcast, the Barney Podcast about The Shield, wherever you can find your podcast. You can find me on Letterboxd under Mason, I think it's M now, or just my name. Uh, find me on Instagram at HotDogDebicki. Find me, now that the weather is nice, on the streets of Chicago, either just walking around or taking a quick bus trip, just getting around however I can. I'm so excited to be out and about and breathing fresh air again. Um, other than that... I would say I am reading the book The Grifters by Jim Thompson. It is a blast. It is in between Reaganland, which I'm also still reading, and Dune, which I'm also still reading. Long books, good books, but The Grifters is a ton of fun. Um, oh, I might also have another podcast project once The Shield is out that I will be previewing, but that is nothing written on that just yet, but keep that keep your antenna posted, pointed up for that. But I will end by saying, as we do always, Black Lives Matter, Black Trans Lives Matter, abolish, defund the police, uh, shop local, eat some good falafel, fuck Joe Biden, tell someone you love him, and we'll see you all next week. Bye.